what the pandemic did was it, it pushed a lot of people off the fence. Um, a lot of people made a lot of money as well. And I think if people were were unsure, a lot of them committed to, to, to buying the super yachts that they'd been thinking of. And I think on the other side of that, a lot of people, whether whether they were sort of rich or poor, were, were forced to sort of almost come to terms with their mortality, I think. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Law Booth, a podcast brought to you by Fennec and Fennec Advocates. My name is Alison Bassallo. I'm a partner at Fennec and Fennec and I head the yachting department. I also work within the marine litigation department. And today I have a special guest with us, um, who is Rory Jackson from Vessel Value. Hello, Rory. Hi, Alison. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for accepting. And uh, the idea is, uh, well, the official title of the podcast, Rory, today is Trends and Predictions in Extraordinary Times. I thought that it was a fitting title considering all we've been through um, in the yachting industry over the past couple of years. And uh, I really wanted to have you with us because I think you're one of the best persons to give an overview of what's happening on a various number uh, on of various topics uh, both as we pause after the can and, and Monaco show, and also as we are preparing, both of us, we've just been discussing to go to Fort Lauderdale next week. So it's a pretty busy, busy time. It's amazing we're having the, some breath to sit down and, and have a chat. So um, first, Rory, I think for, well, you're very well known in the yachting industry, but our audience is wider. So uh, can you just give us a slight introduction of um who is Vessel Value and what it is that you do? Sure. Um, Vessels Value at its core is, is a data company. Um, I think the important difference between us and sort of some of our competitors is that we, we work in the commercial tonnage sectors, commercial aviation, and we'll be doing business jets as well as super yachts. Um, that's important because in the, the world of data, you need large teams, you need capitalization to be able to develop algorithms, systems, and actually have the, the sort of backing to do some quite in-depth analysis. I think from a yachting perspective, we, we have an algorithm that determines um, the value of, of the vessels themselves. We track them using AIS. Um, we look at obviously the various market sectors, S&P transactions, brokerage market, and we also look at vessel utilization and, and usage around the world. Um, so the types of people that are working with us are, are banks, insurers, family offices, um, CSPs, shipyards, infrastructure developers, and, and those kinds of people. So it's quite broad, but in essence, what lawyers what, as well? Lawyers, of course, as well. Um, <laughs> yeah very busy at the moment. Um, so really what we're trying to do is just make what has traditionally been quite an opaque market a lot more transparent for the, for the stakeholders who are, who are generally um, driving towards a more professional market. Okay, thank you very much. So uh, as I was saying, we're fresh out of Cannes and Monaco and uh, those in the industry are well aware that 2021 was a bumper year when it came to yacht orders, sale and purchase transactions. Mm -hmm. um, I know you have a lot to say here, but very briefly, perhaps, how does 2020 to compare? 
I think it's difficult to compare against 2021 because yeah. obviously you mentioned that was a bumpy year. I think yeah. at the close of the year, we were we were one transaction short of a thousand, which by any reckoning is is record numbers. Um, this year so far, above 24 meters, we're at 513 transactions. Now that seems small in comparison with 2021. But if you look against previous years, we're actually still performing incredibly well. Um, so the market remains strong. It's not as strong as 2021, but we know that during that year, there was the big pandemic caused delay. There was all these exceptional circumstances going on, which was alluded to in, in the title of the podcast. Um, so we're not at 2021 levels, but the market remains strong. Okay. So uh the market is still strong and mm-hmm. we could sense that during the boat shows, everyone was really running around from one appointment to the other and everyone at least seemed very busy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, against the backdrop of yards being fully booked up mm-hmm. until 2024, if not further, of course, depending on the yard, um, with uh, brokers, some of the brokers I speak to saying that the second-hand inventory has pretty much dried up or had dried mm-hmm. up a few months ago. Um, how does this translate into what can be expected by way of sales and purchases? It's, it's quite a complex question, actually, because the, the brokerage community is absolutely right. When you look at the inventory, it has dried up. That's only in the sense of, I mean, some brokers refer to it as the new and nearly new market. Others might refer to it as the premium market. In essence, the vessels that everyone wants to buy, the ones that you know are going to sell well and at a good price, a lot of them went in 2021 um, because we are a finite market. Um, If there is a big boom boom period like we saw in 2021, it means there will be less to sell in 2022, obviously. But if you look at the general supply of superyachts, it actually continues to increase, which means there's also an oversaturation of less attractive yachts on the market that are perhaps older within the the size ranges that that we know perhaps let's say 30 to to 45 meters maybe that are sort of approaching 10 years old Mm. a lot of them have now come onto the market because prices have increased Um, so there's a few opportunists out there so inventory exists but not on the quality front to the extent that we'd all like but you mentioned the the refit yards and and how busy they are and you're absolutely right um, delivery schedules going into 2024, 2025, and and even beyond in some cases. Now, in line with that, we also have a difficulty in the supply chain. So, the the schedules aren't necessarily being met at the moment. So, those order books could end up stretching beyond where they are now, which I think actually will will support the brokerage market for longer than we might have expected. We we expect the market to start cooling off, but I think that cooling off will be tempered by the fact that it will take longer for people to get new builds. So if people want yachts, which they clearly still do because they're ordering and buying, I think um, those large order books and the supply chain issues will actually bolster the brokerage market for the next year or so at least. Okay, thank you. Very interesting insights there, um, uh, Rory. I I want to shift slightly to another topic, which I know you also follow very closely, which are usage trends. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first question I would have is, have you noted any substantial shifts in private use of yachts post-pandemic? So the use privately by owners? 
No, I think it is is the simple answer, um, which sort of confused me a little bit when I first looking at the statistics. Um, obviously, post pandemic and pandemic recovery, we had this boom period that we've mentioned in 2021. Now, a lot of the brokerage yards at the time were reporting record numbers of of new owners entering the market. Now, in a year with record sales, what does record numbers of new owners mean? Is it that they 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 could double in the amount, but they'd still be a minority of the general market. I think the superior usage in 2022, certainly, and even in 2021, essentially reflected what it did before the pandemic as well. There hasn't been any major change in in total numbers, which to me suggests that the new buyers are still in the vast minority, and that what we're actually seeing is that owners who already had vessels were stepping up in size ranges or whatever it may be. There may be some small changes in the number of new buyers, but in terms of global usage trends, there's been no real difference, which, which as I say, was, was slightly surprising to me given the, the number of sales that were going through. Yes. And especially, you know, some, some commentators were saying that the, the pandemic situation was attracting new buyers to the market. So, and I, and, I, and I think it did, to be honest, but we've got to be careful with, with how we sort of uh, present the, this information. And mm. if, let's say, to take simple numbers, there was 10 new buyers in 2020. If there was 15 new buyers in 2021, that would be a record number and it would have grown by 50%. Right. And those, those figures sound astoundingly high. Um, and I do think new people have entered the market. There was talk of safe havens. I think what the pandemic did was it, it pushed a lot of people off the fence. Um, a lot of people made a lot of money as well. And I think if people were were unsure, a lot of them committed to to, to buying the superiors that they'd been thinking of. And I think on the other side of that, a lot of people, whether whether they were sort of rich or poor, were, were forced to sort of almost come to terms with their mortality. I think people <laughs> ad- adopted that attitude, regardless of your wealth profile, that now's the time to, to start living if, if you can. Um, but again, that hasn't necessarily been reflected in global usage numbers, whether that's a delay that people have bought yachts and they need to get them refit or whatever it may be. Right. Um, but we're, we're not seeing it in the numbers yet. Okay, very interesting comment. Perhaps the narrative we've been uh, um, fed or the narrative we had in mind needs to, when, when you reconcile it with figures, perhaps you need to sort of reassess. Um, that. I, think, I think we just have to be careful how, how we present things. I think it's always better. And, and a lot of what we're trying to do here at Vessels Value is, is make sure that when we are presenting market trends or whatever it may be, that they are backed up with numbers. And if those trends aren't backed up with numbers, then we have to sort of reframe how we're thinking about these issues and find out what what it is exactly we're talking about. I mean, in, in previous years, we've talked a lot about um, adventure yachts and people getting off the beaten track and all these things. And people do do it. And again, the numbers of people doing it are increasing but it's small numbers that are increasing. And then you have large percentages attached. Um, but when we look through the images of, of those vessels that are in, let's say, the, the fjords or the Arctic, whatever it may be, it tends to be the same yachts that are, that are open about it and they're looking to have charters in that area. So we just have to be careful. And as I say, a lot of what we're trying to do is, is backing decisions um, with data. 
you keep our feet on the ground. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Someone's got to. <laughs> and yes, and social media and uh, has a lot of say in our industry. So mm-hmm. one has to be very careful what one um, interprets. So so that's that's you're doing a great job there. Um, again, I, I just want to remain a bit uh, further on this point. Uh, Shifting to chartering now, again, mm-hmm. the discourse over the past months has been um, safe haven um, and the chartering market and new entrants into the chartering market, which, as we know, very often is the first um, experience of potential owners into, into this world. Um, has this increasing trend for first-time charters, you think, been pushing the the building um, of more yachts to be operated commercially? I think it almost certainly will do, to be honest. I think from from a data perspective, the charter market is one of the hardest ones to quantify unless you are a brokerage house. It's not information that's that's easy to get. I think obviously we can track the movements of, of vessels that are for charter. And from that, you can make some, some relatively sensible assumptions. But as we know, the, the owners themselves might be chartering the vessel. But what we are seeing every year is incredibly high demand for charter vessels. And again, all the rhetoric around the market is you should be booking these things early because they're not going to be there when you come to step into a charter later. Um, I do believe that with, with some wealth transfer and the, the, the sort of bolstering of, of certain new, new businesses and, and sectors that a lot of people are stepping into the charter market. And generally speaking, Charter has always been the most successful sales pitch for ownership. I think everyone knows that once you get someone on a super yacht, it's very unlikely they're going to have a bad time. So it's, it's always, it's always, it's <laughs> hopefully e- not. <laughs> exactly. So it's much easier to believe your own experience of being on a yacht than it is to, to take the sales pitch or, or the sell of the dream that, that we all do to a certain extent. So again, the charter market is quite hard to to put a number on, but I do think that there seems to be incredibly high demand and we do are seeing younger charter guests um, from, from various different sectors, the likes of sportsmen and the tech industry and these kinds of things. And I think it will, I think it will drive new ownership, but it also might start driving some other things like fractional ownership. And I mean, we probably don't have the time to, to go through all these things, but my, my general view on, where the super yacht industry should be going in terms of its models is simply to provide options. I think mm. fractional ownership won't be for everyone. Private private ownership won't be for everyone. Commercially operating a vessel won't be for everyone. I think we just need to try and find as many flexible models within reason um, that appeal to, to different demographics and different types of people. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we've heard a lot of that in Monaco at the various events we attended, Rory, you know, Mm -hmm. fraction ownership. We've also seen now um, the trend of luxury yachts slash cruise liners mm-hmm. um, also being registered in Malta. Um, uh, so I think that the idea of options is definitely out there. Yeah. Um, that I, will, mm-hmm. and I, I was just, sorry, I was going to say that I, I like the idea of those large luxury liners actually as, a, as an entry point to the market because what what has been the entry point to the super yacht market previously? A 24 meter? That's still a massive yacht by by any measure, and it's still incredibly expensive. So 
I, I like the idea of these luxury cruise liners. And also, just from a, a sort of selfish perspective, they, they sound incredibly fun. I mean, it's, lo- <laughs> it's lots of people of the same wealth profile on, with one assumes the similar interests on a fantastic cruise. So yes. I think if, you, if you're trying to get people into yachting, I think they're quite an interesting option because otherwise it needs to be a grassroots approach where you may have always sailed. And, and most people don't, to be honest. So I, I really like them as an idea and as a as a bridging point between those that sort of new generation of of ultra net worth. We'll see what impact they'll have on the market over the next uh, few years. We'll yeah, keep absolutely. an eye out. Keep an eye out. Um, have you seen any trends? You were mentioning that you do monitor the use and chartering of yachts. Have you seen any new trends in the areas where where super yachts tend to be used? Or is that too much of a generic question? No, I think I think there are changes, and <clears throat> and to keep it relatively generic, I think we're seeing changes where investment takes place. To be honest, or where regulatory change takes place, um, the superior market to date has presents itself as a global market. In other words, you buy your dream vessel, and the world is your oyster. You can go wherever you want. In reality we know that it's slightly more complicated than that. If you're running it commercially, it may be that you have to import it into a certain region and they want to charge you X amount of the the vessel to to have it there and run it commercially. I think a good example where things have changed is um, Australia. It's one that I refer to a lot. They worked for around 10 years or so to have their charter regulations changed to allow foreign flag vessels to come. In line with that, they also invested a lot in refit infrastructure and marinas. And now when we look at the figures, I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but we're seeing that within the size ranges that they've targeted, there is growth. And it also means that domestic owners of vessels are more tempted to keep their yachts there to run them commercially as well. I think we've seen Thailand's changed its regulations. I think Indonesia is in the process of doing it. So all these nations are now looking at the super industry as a as a potential economic benefit which it cert- certainly is and we'll see growth where where changes occur but the reason why the med and the caribbean have obviously been so popular aside from their obvious beauty is that they've just made it the easiest to operate a super yacht vessel there i know i know even you, <laughs> some might disagree uh, well, so, 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 some might disagree but the but the but the professionals are in place and the systems are at least in place yes. to do it rather than it being it may be tricky but it's not prohibitive um well it keeps us busy <laughs> yeah well quite um so we are seeing changes um and as i say it's where the regulations are evolving and the infrastructure investment is taking place but it is happening Again, tied to what we're discussing um, over the, without becoming too technical and too, too legalistic, um, yep. I'm, I'm trying very hard. <laughs> uh, we have seen a change in, I mean, you've already mentioned this very correctly, in the way that the usage of yachts um, is, is looked upon um, in Europe. Mm-hmm. And this came about a number of years ago um, in, in a number of member states. Malta was the catalyst here. Um, and what I'm talking about is the concept of actual use and enjoyment of yachts within EU waters mm-hmm. um, as a gauge on the basis of which VAT on the use is calculated. Now, given that I understand and you've said that the tracking of yachts is a service offered by yep. this value. Um, can you share with us whether you have seen a demand for the provision of the service 
Absolutely. I think from our perspective, and as I say, it's it's just about transparency and, and giving the right people the right data. I think if, especially if a vessel is commercially managed, for instance, and you need to provide various proofs, all the information already exists. So from our side, we use AIS data to track vessels. We have the whole Supiot fleet tracked. If they have AIS then we're able to track them. And within 15 minutes, we can produce a, a navigation report which breaks down every stoppage that a Supiot has done over the course of a defined period. Now, as I understand it, what people are using currently and frequently is, is captain's logs and raw data mm-hmm. and going through receipts and yeah. this kinds of things, which isn't necessary. I mean, it also just takes a lot of time and effort for the people doing it. So so what we're saying is basically on an annual basis, we should be producing evaluation and a navigation report. So whatever that vessel does in that within the next year, that information is to hand and whoever needs it, whether it's from a tax side or whether they engage in, they want to sell the vessel or whatever it may be, that information can be there to hand for what is a, a nominal fee in comparison with the to risks of getting stung with a big VAT bill, for instance. Um, so the message is that the information exists. People just need to ask for it and realize that there is a, a more professional and a streamlined way of doing things, which is what we're trying to sort of push the market towards. Excellent. Now, last question. No, one, one penultimate question. And I'm curious about the answer because you've changed, you, you've shattered some of my misconceptions <laughs> after now. So um, we have over the past weeks, especially heard of an increasing number of leading yards announcing investment in new fuel technology, including mm-hmm. the use of methanol, for example. Now, do you think this will serve to attract a younger generation of environmentally conscious owners to the market, or is this just a, a lot I, of, you know, um, I think, social media propaganda and, and announcements? No, I, I think it will. I think we also have to be careful about just saying that it will attract a, a younger generation of environmentally conscious people as well, because there are the repeat buyers in the older generations that would also like to be more environmentally friendly. We're, we've almost become fixated on these, this idea of the the younger generations engaging with the market, but there will still be in a minority because a lot of them, we know that private ownership, for instance, you, you want to spend as much time as possible on the yacht. And while you can work remotely now relatively seamlessly, a lot of the younger generation are building businesses, which obviously takes a lot of time and effort. I think we need to make it attractive for the older generations who want to be more environmentally conscious as well, because they're, they're all moving towards that. Now, that's the positive look at it. I think the investment from the the yards is is brilliant. It's exactly what's needed because we've been needing people to take the challenges by the sort of scruff of the neck and and put the investment in and, and really trying to drive it forward. Because otherwise we would have been waiting and waiting for for sort of miracle owners to come in with vast amounts of money. And and really that wasn't going to happen. The challenge is to make the the vessels with the the, the gr- more green credentials are not economically viable for for buyers. At the moment, there's too much of a payoff between the cost of being sustainable and the cost of ownership versus the benefit that you get out of it that that isn't just moral and ethical. What what do you mean by that, Rory? Can so you- at the moment, to to be green, it costs more money than it. 
than it does to not be green, unfortunately. So the argument that the industry has at the moment is to say, choose the green option because it's the right thing to do. It's a, it's a moral choice. It's an ethical choice. You're attaching your, your personal brand equity to being sustainable, mm-hmm. which for some people is incredibly important. But for, for, large, for large parts of the, the market where the owners are relatively unknown and they don't have big sort of public presences and these kinds of things, they might just say, I'd rather not pay all that money and take the current option. So the real change will come when being sustainable is the same cost as it is to be unsustainable, then it's a win-win. Because when you speak to certain buyers about their their motivating factors, it may not be that being sustainable in and of itself is the attraction, but it might be you say to them, but how does it sound to have a super yacht that's free of vibration and pollution? If you're, you've got to be selling that their experience will improve as well as it just being an ethical choice. So there's a lots of nuance to it. And we need to make sure that for those owners who are primarily concerned with the economics of the choice, that it's a viable option. For those that are ethically driven, that we're also selling into that. And for those who it's just about the case of having a cleaner personal experience, that we're selling into that as well. So there's a lot of different angles and not all most people are motivated by the same things. But having yes. said that, we're, we're certainly moving in the right direction for all those absolutely. things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, if I may throw another factor in there, and it's something which was discussed a lot in various four again in Monaco, mm-hmm. um, is as well the, there's an increased urgency, certainly, which, which was palpable during the mm-hmm. show. Absolutely. And uh, the reason is also socioeconomic, you know, it's, it's all to do with the, with the context we're living in globally, yep. um, with the, the perception of the industry out mm-hmm. there, which was always there. I mean, ever since I was involved in, in, in this job, it's, it's always been something which was discussed, you know, how, what is the image of the industry globally? Yeah. But now I think it is even more pressing because certainly we're living in difficult times. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's a very complex discussion to have, but certainly I agree with you that we are moving in the right direction. And certainly it's hats off to the odds that are pushing this and being pioneers in offering alternate um, means of, of energy. And certainly it is an industry which can be a catalyst for change because certainly it can um, bring together the funding that is necessary to drive that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I listened to a, a talk, um, I think it was at, at one of the investor forums in earlier this year. And uh, I believe it was someone from from Lateral Naval Architects who mm-hmm. was who was suggesting that with the larger custom projects, for instance, that almost groups of buyers should come together and fund a single propulsion system that they all use, because then you're you're sharing the risk and sharing the costs. And Sounds I think, very smart. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think we'll start to see these things. I think the the appetite is there from certain buyers from the shipyards, and at some point regulation is going to come in, which means they have to do it anyway. And all these factors will will have a um, will have an impact. But I think you're right. I think Monaco this year was the was probably the first year where I've really felt that there's a a, a big push towards it. Absolutely. Before yeah. it was very theoretical, right? Exactly. Sustainability was always the 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 buzzword for yeah. many years. But this year, I really felt 
a tangible approach. Well, I think I think I think Max Perotti um, of, yes. of San Lorenzo is he's he's exactly putting his money where his mouth is because he's building the first San Lorenzo with that sort of system. So. Right. That, I think that shows a certain amount of confidence as well. They're not waiting for another no. buyer to step in and who essentially has to absorb all the risk. They're, they're saying we back ourselves, we we trust the system. So I'm going to make the first one and and be yeah. the, not the guinea pig, because um, I, I think that sells them short, but be the first to do it, which I think shows a certain amount of confidence and Absolutely. and a certain amount of willingness. And that's also a testament to, to how well that shipyard's obviously In doing. In fact, Mr. Perotti mentioned the new technology during the Malta Superyard Summit earlier mm-hmm. in June. We're very happy to hear a lot about that. So so we're it's very exciting times, Rory. Very absolutely. Times. I absolutely agree. So I think this brings us to an end, but I, I've been following a series of podcasts um, organized by John Leonida. I'm sure mm-hmm. you, you've been following them as well. And there's a question he always asks his guests at the end, which is, I think, really interesting and fun. And I didn't warn you about this, but if you were given a yacht to charter for a week anywhere in the world, where would you go? Where would I go? That is a difficult question. There's a, there's so many weird and wonderful places out there. I can tell you where I wouldn't go initially oh, okay. would be would be the Mediterranean and Caribbean. I think <laughs> fair enough. I do you know I, I there's so many beautiful places there, but I feel like there's so many. The world is such a big place, and there are so many options now. I'd love to, I'd love to do the Arctic. Um, I think that would be amazing. But if I was going for the sort of sunny approach, I think somewhere like. Indonesia would probably be the top of the list where there isn't as much infrastructure and there isn't much of a as much of a yachting community maybe that just speaks to me being too antisocial I'm not sure but <laughs> I think if, if you have if you have all your favorite people in one place you don't necessarily need too much else I think no. yachting can learn a lot from actually trying to strip back the experience a little bit yeah. And I think ha- people are going back to that as well. I think so. Once yeah. once the possibilities are there, I think people, and a lot of people do it already, like that model. I don't think having marinas full of essentially similar products and and similar people is is mm. is that appealing to everyone else? It's a chance to to see the world and experience things that you can't get an hour's flight from home or whatever it may be. So yeah, so that that would be my approach to it anyway. So Indonesia, it is. Yes, I'll go Indonesia. Rory, you've been absolutely marvellous, as always. You make very complex uh, concepts sound really easy. I always feel I should be taking notes when I speak to you. And I, I look forward to seeing you next week in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, good luck with the show. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll catch up there as well. And thank you for being with us. Perfect. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to, to getting that drink in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Thank you to Thanks, our Alison. audience. Bye. Bye-bye.